that is our hearts cry that your presence come and it it dwell in our hearts it dwell in our lives for you to manifest your presence here on this earth as it is in heaven God that we might touch you and be touched by you we worship you Jesus we worship you Jesus One more time, I want us just to lift up a shout of praise to our God. He is so worthy of all praise. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 16. Uh, we'll start in verse 9. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into his presence tonight. As you're uh, opening up your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, verse 9, I'd like to welcome my therapist and his fiance here tonight. Uh, it's not a mental therapist, it's a therapist for my knee. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> with a grain of salt, take that. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's the reason why I'm walking around so well. And so if you have any joint issues, back issues or anything like that, he's taking free consultations at the end of the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but great to have uh, he and his fiance here with us to, tonight. But Mark chapter 16, verse 9 I'm going to be preaching about belief. I preached a little bit about this yesterday as we were in the juvenile facilities ministering and excited about what God's going to do in this place tonight. 
Verse 9 says, now when he rose early, this is Jesus rising early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Everybody say seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. You may be seated. Every person in this room tonight is a person with deep-held beliefs. Whether it's a belief about an individual, an ideal government, or even a group of people, we all have deep-seated beliefs in our life. And belief is a powerful thing. Belief is basically the acceptance of a truth, even if that truth is not true, right? Because we can believe in a lie. So belief is the acceptance of a truth, even if that truth is not true. And so recently, to, to illustrate this, I sat beside a woman on a plane um, headed into the, the Middle East whose people group hates another people group, right? Um, she, just for a starter, she was justifying suicide bombing to me. Not the person you want to be sitting beside on the plane, right? <laughs> and so we're having this conversation, and she's talking to me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I hope she doesn't hate me at this point. Um, but this, is, this really, really happened a couple of weeks ago when we were headed to Dubai. I'm having this conversation, and as we were having this conversation, she says this. And so I'm talking to her, and I asked her, or I told her, I said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, but expecting different results, right? And I said, your two people groups have hated each other for years, right? You've hated each other for years, and your hatred has gotten you nowhere. I said, recently we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States. And I said, you want to know what one of his uh, mottos in his life was? And she asked me what. I said, I told her, I said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can Right? You know, if you've hated people for so long, if you've hated one another for so long, why don't you try to be the leader? Why don't you try to be the difference maker in your people group and begin loving people and give love a chance and give love a, a chance to try to make amends and, and to do something differently? How could Martin Luther King Jr. even love people so much that he could look the people in the face that would even eventually kill his life because he was a believer? He believed what he preached. He believed what he taught. It went to the core of his life. And belief is something that is so impacting that it's impacted culture. And generations and generations, it's impacted the media. And it's even impacted the songs that we listen to, right? How many times have you heard a song about belief? One of my favorite movies growing up was Space Jam. Right? How many of y'all remember Space Jam? Everybody ever watched Space Jam growing up? And what was one of the songs that R. Kelly sang? Right? He believed he could fly. That was my jam right there. I always, I, I remember, I played basketball, and so I would think I could go and dunk when I'd uh, listen to that song and I'd barely get the net. <laughs> and so I, I love that song. That was a good movie. But if we go back another generation, another generation that believed, was, uh, was Whitney Houston and her generation. And she would sing a song that would be... Believing in love. I believe that we will be a love everlasting. Love right? People believe in love. And Whitney Houston would sing about believing in love. And then if we go back another generation, 
We go to a uh, I give you a hint. We go to a gener generation that would not stop believing. Don't stop How many of y'all remember this one? <laughs> I see some of our deacons out there singing this music. <laughs> we know where you came from. But maybe, maybe one of the ones that was probably my favorites that every kid that ever watched Disney uh, would have listened to with Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. And this is kind of where I'll make my entrance into the sermon is. How many of y'all remember Prince of Egypt? Anybody ever watch Prince of Egypt? They believed in miracles. Even when hope was frail, the lyrics say it was hard to kill. Y'all singing along? No? We're good, sound man. Go ahead. But belief is something that we hold on to. Belief is the acceptance of a truth. But sometimes even truth is hard to accept, right? Sometimes when we get a phone call from a doctor, from a family member, or a loved one, and they tell us a truth, and we have a hard time accepting that truth or believing that truth. As we were ministering in the juveniles yesterday, one of the guys that was sharing his testimony mentioned about how he got a phone call about his mom having terminal cancer. And it took so much to believe in that thing, to, to just see his mom living and moving and breathing and having life, then to hear this phone call from a family member that she had a diagnosis that was terminal. Or maybe a breakup in a relationship or in a marriage after years of being together. It's a hard truth to accept. Or one of my favorites is parents who believe their children can never do anything wrong. How many of you ever known parents like that? You could have DNA proof, you could have video footage, you could have everything that's there, and their children could never do anything wrong. See, my parents weren't like that. If we were even in the vicinity, when something went down, we were getting a spanking. That was it. You were around it, so you're getting whooped, and it doesn't matter. I don't care, you shouldn't have been in the wrong place at the wrong time when it happened. <laughs> my parents were like that. But belief is the acceptance of a truth, and it's important who we believe in. Realistically, we cannot believe in ourselves because over and over and over again we will fail ourselves. But if we believe in the one who never fails us, if we believe in the one who has never let us down, it means that our future will be bright and our best days will be in front of us. See, the difference between knowing a truth and believing in a truth is knowing the truth starts in our head, but believing it starts in our heart. Believing it starts, it, it drives us to do certain things that truth and knowledge or awareness might not drive us to do. See, when we believe in something, we will go to great lengths to promote it, defend it, and stand for that which we believe in. And if our belief fails us, it's tragic to us, right? If our belief in something that we held so closely and dearly to our lives fails us, it's tragic to us. Sometimes when people blame God for things that have happened, it's tragic to us, and God begins a, a tragedy to us. And this is exactly where we find the disciples at, is that, number one, they had received the gospel. Number two, they had understood the gospel well enough to proclaim the gospel. They even knew the words of Jesus. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him cleanse the lepers. They saw him take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed over 15,000 people with it. They saw Jesus walk on water. But there was a gap between what they knew about Jesus and what they believed in Jesus after he died. 
And this is where we find ourselves at tonight, that when he rose on the first day of the week, he appears first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. See, if there was a diagnostic to put on the church today, I believe this is where the majority of the church would be. That we've received the gospel, we've understood the gospel, we've, we know the gospel. But a lot of times there are so many who have a hard time believing in the power of the gospel. And seeing is believing. Because Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, the one whom he cast out seven demons. So when Mary goes and runs and tells the disciples, hey, I've seen Jesus, he's alive and he's risen... Their response was probably, consider the source, right? We all know people that we have to consider the source or take what they're saying with a grain of salt. They probably thought maybe she's seeing another thing. She was the one that at least had seven demons in her life. Remember her past? Maybe she's had a relapse in her life. Consider the source of who's telling us that they've seen Jesus. Why? Because the disciples were so caught up in their mourning and in their weeping that they could not accept the truth, or believe the truth. And I think this is where it happens to us so many times that we get caught up in our circumstances. We get caught up in the things that are around us, whether it's mourning or grieving. Maybe it's a family situation that happens and we can't see the forest for the tree that's in front of us. See, some of us in this room have been, or some of you in this room have been mourning and weeping for far too long and, and over an issue. Maybe you've lost something in the past. Maybe someone's left you or died in the past and it's wrecked your life. Or maybe somebody wronged you or betrayed you and you are full of anger and rage. But with Christ, listen to this, your best days are in front of you. You don't have to keep believing in the lie of how guilty or how broken or how desperate your situation is. Because with Christ, the best days of your life are in front of you. So lift up your head and embrace the joy that we have in Jesus. And believe that his plans are far better for us than anything that has ever went wrong. The next one, listen to this, verse 11. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Disbelief or belief in the wrong thing are practically the same thing. You know, we see it all throughout human history. If we look at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, they did not believe in the promises of God enough, so they chose to embrace a lie from the enemy. Fast forward to Cain, who did not believe in the offering that God required of him. And he eventually, because of jealousy and not believing in the promise of God, killed his brother. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not believe in the promise of God enough that they became people who were deceivers and would not, would, would not tell those who they would encounter who their spouse was or would lie about their spouse. Right into Exodus where Moses did not trust in the plan of God and murdered somebody. Right into Pharaoh. Because of his unbelief, his heart was hardened. Because his heart was hardened, he lost his own son because he would not believe. See, this is just the first two books of the Bible. And unbelief has had a significant effect on all of the course of human history. Why? Because unbelief is a dangerous place to live at. Unbelief is a dangerous address. You don't want to live at 666 Unbelief Lane, right? 666 ain't a good number to live at, number one. But you don't want to leave, live at Unbelief Lane. You want to live in an area in your life of where you're confident. You see, this is very common throughout all the scriptures where people would see the all-powerful, all-provisional hand of God move in and around the circumstances, but they would still be filled with unbelief. And it happens in the church today that they see God moving. They see God working, but they're still filled with disbelief. 
that they believe maybe his nature or character has changed. So they believe that he can no longer heal the sick. They believe that he can no longer perform miracles. They believe that he is no longer capable of doing things. You know, or, or they, they think he is, they know that he is capable, but they don't believe he will do it for them in their situation. Verse 12 says, after these things, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe in them. See, Jesus again appears to two more of his followers in Mark 16, verse 12. And as he uh, appears to them, they run back and they tell the other disciples, but they still do not believe. I wonder how many of us would be in the same situation. That even though we've heard it over and over and over again, we, now we hear it from two different sources, that we still would be filled with disbelief. And these two men are straight testifying that they have seen him with their own eyes. In fact, this is most likely referring to the account where Jesus walked with two men from Jerusalem to a little city called Emmaus. Emmaus was approximately seven miles away from Jerusalem. And it takes the average person exercise, walking as an exercise about 15 minutes to walk a mile. And so if they walked with Jesus seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they spent about two hours with Jesus on that walk. And after they spent about two hours with him on that walk, what does the Bible say they did? It says that they went in and they broke bread and they ate together. And that's when they realized who he was. And so not only did these men just see Jesus, but they walked with him for almost two hours and they ate with Jesus after his resurrection. And the disciples are still having a hard time believing in the report or believing in the testimony of these men. In fact, the disciple Thomas said in John 20 verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place, or, yeah, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a strong statement. I will never believe. I will never believe unless I touch, unless I see it. See, to, G to Thomas, Jesus had to meet two of the five senses for him to believe. This man was a man who was nicknamed Doubting Thomas. And that's a phrase that's been coined throughout our English language. And nobody wants to be remembered as a Doubting Thomas. But it wasn't only just Thomas. It was none of the disciples truly believed in the resurrection until they had seen Jesus with their own eyes. But I want you to watch the response of Jesus and verse 14, and how he reacts to this. And so, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who had saw him after he had risen. What does Jesus do? He rebukes the disciples because of their unbelief and the hardness of heart. How many times do we hear about Jesus but we aren't changed? It's got to go from a knowledge to a belief in our hearts. You see, they were all doubting disciples. Not only did they not believe, but their disbelief had led them to a hardness of heart to where they wouldn't even receive the testimonies of those who had seen Jesus. You see, when we do not take God at his word, it leads us to have a heart that is hardened. This was Israel throughout all the Old Testament. And God, in fact, has to tell Israel that uh, in the book of Ezekiel that he has to take out their heart of stone. And give them a heart of flesh. Why? Because God cannot use an unbelieving heart that is hardened. We've got to have a heart that believes the simple things of the word of God. We've got to have a heart that receives it. And that as we receive it, we accept it into our lives. You see, there's power in belief. And Jesus desires a people that will simply accept 
the word of God and the wor- or accept the truth at his word. Listen to this in verse or in John chapter 20 verse 29. He says, "Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Blessed are those who have not seen me yet they still believe. 99.9999% uh, of people in this world have never seen Jesus with their own eyes. But the believers that still believe him, guess what? Jesus says, you are blessed if you believe without seeing. Every believer in this room has been called blessed by Jesus. Belief leads us to a heart full of faith, which leads us to a life full of action. For instance, if I truly believe in what you say, it leads me to make certain decisions based upon my belief. If I believe I can fly, I'm going to stretch out my my wings and try to fly, right? (laughs) If I believe in my nation and the freedom that it offers, I will go to great lengths to fight for my nation. Why do so many soldiers give their life? They spend so many years on the front lines, sacrificing homes, sacrificing the freedom, sacrificing things in in this nation to afford the cause of freedom to us and to the world. Or if we believe in love, it will drive us to crazy lengths to do whatever we can for the one we love. But if we believe in the Son of God, it will lead us to do even greater things. Amen. It will, believe, it will lead us to do things that the world, they might call crazy. They might call us mental. They might call us certain things. But it will lead us to do certain things that the world will definitely not understand. Recently, a couple months ago, I think it was back in November, we were privileged to host a group of North Koreans here. North Koreans that had escaped all the tragedies, the things against all the human rights, the suffering, ones that had been in labor camps, they had, were able to escape and they found refuge in South Korea. And we were able to hear from them. And they got saved and believe in God and believe in this gospel so much that their plan is to go right back to North Korea. And they know that as they do, and as some have already done before them in their group, they will lay down their life for the cause of the word of God, for the cause of the gospel. Why? Because they've been changed by what they believe in. Do we believe in this word so much that it has completely changed our life? It's completely changed them that they are willing to, to give their life for the cause of Christ. To share the love of God, to share His love. We have missionaries that are here from the Canaries that have given up all of the luxuries of this life in North America and the things that we have. And I know how our missionaries live. I've been in plenty of places and and they're going to, to, to share the love of Jesus and lay down all of the things here so that they can share Jesus. Why? Because they believe in this word so much. Because belief in Jesus will drive us to do some of the wildest things. Belief is acceptance of truth, and belief is trusting in Matthew 6.33, that as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that everything else will literally, everything else will be taken care of. If we seek first his kingdom, the scripture says that everything, that's everything, that's all, everything else, every health issue, every financial issue, every emotional, every mental, every job issue, every employment issue, everything will be taken care of if we will seek first his kingdom. Belief is that when we pray to God to heal our child who is sick and lose our job at the same time, that we believe that God is both our healer and our provider. See, belief is not thinking that God can work a miracle in one situation but not the other. 
Belief is not limiting God to, to say, you know what, I, I believe that you can provide for me. I can put in a job application somewhere, but you are limited in doing this other thing in my life. What would James call that? James would call that a double-minded man. In James chapter 1, verse 6, he says, But ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. See, we cannot come to God with a double-minded nature. We have to be stable and believe that he can meet every need in every area of our life. We have to believe in God on a holistic level. That our belief, it permeates every area of our life. It permeates our home life. It permeates our work life. It permeates our, our recreational life. That every aspect of our life is filled with the belief of God. And when we get a negative report from the doctor, we see what the doctor says. But we still believe that God can perform miracles. We don't just know that he can do it, but we believe that he will do it. It has to permeate every area of our life. Belief is, is when that we are in a and the winds and the waves are crashing and the boat begins to sink, that all Jesus has to do is speak to those winds and speak to those waves and bring calmness to the situation. We have to believe. So after Jesus encounters their unbelief and rebukes them or corrects them, he says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of the creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that kind of picks us up or leaves us off to where Daniel Kalinda said last week that they will heal the sick. They will cleanse the lepers. They will cast out demons. They will raise the dead. They will cleanse the lepers. They will heal the sick. They will raise the dead. They will see demons cast out. Why? Because these signs will accompany those who believe is what verse 17 says. That in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink something uh, that was deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. See, there's fruit and belief. Belief drives us to go preach the gospel. Whoever believes will be saved, whoever doesn't will be condemned. See, people who know the gospel but do not fully believe the gospel will not preach the gospel. That should be a heart check. It should be a life check. That should be a spiritual check for all of our lives is that people who believe the gospel or, or who know the gospel but do not fully believe the gospel will not preach the gospel. How well do we do at sharing the love of Jesus? How well do we do at sharing the love of Jesus with those who are around us. This should be a reality check for every one of us because if we truly believe in this thing, we'll identify with this thing and we'll be like this thing that we share the love of Christ with those who are around us. I'm telling you that there are certain implications that will take place in our life when we truly believe. Not only are there certain implications, the Bible says that there will be certain fruit that is produced in our life and signs that will follow. Galatians 5, 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no life. And if we truly believe in Jesus, these things will radiate from our life. You see, this is why so many people get a bad taste of Christianity because we've all met people who say they're Christian, but their lives are not producing the love, the joy, the peace, 
the long-suffering, the gentleness, goodness. How many times have we met people who are, are believers, or, or say they're believers, but they're not producing these things? On the contrary, they're producing Galatians 5.19, what it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, the immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all of these different things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus says that we will be known by our fruit. So when we look at the fruit that is being produced in our life, do we line up with the believing side or the unbelieving side? If that's what is to, to, to make us known is the fruit that's being produced in our life, that when people in our, in our home or in our workplace or where we go in life, what do they experience from me? What do they experience from you individually? Do they experience the love or do they experience the fits of rage? When you're at an airline counter and your flight gets canceled, what do they experience? Right? When you call the customer service line and you've got an issue with, with Comcast, because everybody loves calling Comcast, right? <laughs> and you got, you got double billed. What do they experience? Do they experience the love of Christ or do they experience the fit of rage? Do they experience a different kind of person? These are the fruit that Jesus says that we will be known by in our daily walk. Not just when we come to church and we worship, we put on a, a good facade, right? But in our daily life, in our daily walk, we will be known by the fruits that we produce. Are we producing what Jesus would call the believing side or the unbelieving side? Because he looked at the disciples and said, hey, you're not believing. You've got a hard heart. And if he can look at the followers that spent three years with him, seeing the miracles, seeing everything that took place, they spent that time being touched, being spoken to, what would he say to the church today? What would he say about the state of our hearts? What would he say about the state of our belief? Do we believe in his word enough? He says, blessed are those who believe but have never seen. It also says that, Signs and miracles will follow them that believe that this is the fruit that is produced in our life. See, this is my belief that we know God can do it just so many times we question him whether or not we believe that he will do it in our own lives. We know that God can heal. We know that God can transform situations. But we question whether or not or we're not sure if we, he would do it in our own lives. See, signs and miracles are the byproduct of belief in an all-powerful Savior who conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Because it says, these signs will follow them that believe. Too many times we get focused on worrying about the miracle when we should be mainly focused on our belief in the God who provides that. Our miracle is not our salvation, right? The healing is not our salvation. The deliverance is not our salvation. Our salvation is in Christ. And that's where we've got to focus our belief is that in Him, that He is good and He only does good to those that believe. And so if we believe fully enough, we know that He is going to work all things together for the good of those who, for the good of those who believe. For the good of those that believe. We've got to believe. Belief helps us understand that the signs and the miracles that will follow. Belief helps us understand that we don't have to sink when He calls us out onto the water, that we can say to a mountain, move, and it will move. Belief is the medicine that we administer to a loved one with a terminal illness. 
we must believe so much so that we first we see them healed. We must believe in our hearts that God can do the impossible. We must believe so much that we see them delivered from whatever that addiction may be or that bondage may be over their life. As Todd White said last week when we were praying, he says we pray from hope, not for hope. If the worship team would come back to the stage. See, as believers, it's important that we know that we already have hope. And we're not praying for some future version of hope to take place in, in our life. But we're pray, praying from that hope that we have in Jesus. And that belief and that hope will permeate every area of our life so that as we encounter the things that we encounter in life, whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever tribulation that we might go through, we encounter them with a heart full of faith and a God who only does good to those that believe. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other things will be added to you. So if you go ahead and stand with us tonight. If you're in this room tonight and you look at your life, maybe you've never believed in Christ. Or maybe you've had a knowledge and understanding and uh, you've been taught about him or you've heard about him, but you've never fully believed in your life. I want to pray for you tonight that God would just change you and transform you. So worship team's coming. If you would close your uh, eyes and, and bow your heads. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you have loved us. And I pray, Father, that as we have experienced your love, as we have experienced the grace and the mercy of God, that, God, it would do something to enrich our lives so much that we would believe in who you are. God, that it would go from just a head knowledge and it would go to a, a heart that believes, that is fully persuaded, as Paul said, that he believed that he was fully persuaded. God, that regardless of the things that would happen around us, it wouldn't shake our belief or transform our belief. And you, and with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you are in this room tonight and you want to believe, you know, you've heard, but you want that to transition to a belief. I want to pray for that to happen tonight. If you would, just slip up your hand. Amen. There's hands going up. Amen. God can do it. It's got to go from a knowledge and understanding because the belief is where the transformation takes place. Belief is where the transformation takes place. I'm going to say that again. That belief is where transformation truly takes place. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you want to believe for greater things in your life. That there are some challenges. There are some situations in your life that you want to believe for greater. That you know that God is not through with you. God's not finished at this level. But you want to believe that God is going to provide a breakthrough in a certain area of life. Maybe it's their finances. Maybe it's your home life. Maybe it's a, a marital issue that's going on. You want to believe for greater. If that's you, if you would just slip up your hand. And we want to remember you in prayer tonight. Amen. Amen. If you had slipped up your hand, just come down here to the altars and we're going to begin to pray. And also in just a couple of moments, we're going to transition. And we're going to spend about five to six minutes praying over uh, 
um, South Florida with the Parkland school shooting. But if you slipped up your hand, I want you to come forward to the altars tonight. And I want you to begin to press in for greater. Begin to pray and believe for greater in your life. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And uh, let's believe together for, for greater. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Come on. If you slipped up your hand, there are a number of, of hands that went up across this room. Jesus.
take a moment. And if you need a miracle in your life, that you want to believe for God to move, whether it's healing, whether it's a, a marriage issue that needs to move, I want us to begin proclaiming to those mountains that are standing in our way that they will be moved through the power of the name of Jesus. Let's join in together tonight, church. Father, we thank you that you are greater than any trial. You are greater than any tribulation. You are greater than any mountain that would stand in front of us. And so, Father, we speak to these mountains in our life. Father, that need to be moved out. God, we believe in the God who can do the impossible. Your word says that if you raise Christ from the dead, that same power is alive in us as believers. And so, Father, we commit it to you tonight. God, whatever healing needs to take place, we thank you, Father, that people are healed through the power of the blood of Jesus. Father, for sons and daughters that are lost or they are bound by addictions of drugs or alcohol or things that are going on, we thank you that you are able to deliver. And we believe that salvation and restoration and freedom, it can take place in this house tonight to those that believe. Father, I thank you that in homes where there is turmoil and there's brokenness, we believe in you, a God who is able to speak peace to every storm, a God who is able to speak peace to every trial, a God who is able to speak peace to every tribulation. And so we commit it to you and lay it at your feet in the powerful name of Jesus. In the powerful name of Jesus. Come on, church. Declare this out tonight that he is able to move it. We worship you, Jesus.
is a church and the body of Christ that believes for greater in its nation. And I believe that all of our hearts were struck this past week when we looked at the tragedy that took place in South Florida. We know that we are better than this. As a church and as a nation, we know that we are better than this. And what it should do for every believer is it should drive us to a state of prayer. It should drive us to a state of humbleness. It should drive us to a state of dependency. But it should drive us to a state of prayer. The scripture says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual things. That means our battle is not against one another. And so when we see these things happen, we can't be angry at what sin, uh, at what sin causes sinners to do. We've got to be angry at the sin, yes, but we've got to believe for so much greater and we've got to have love that encompasses things, but we've got to have belief that drives us to a state of prayer. And so what I'm going to do right now is I want everybody to come forward in this room to the altar area. And we're going to spend some time praying for our nation because it's through tragedy that God can really shift and change a nation. It's through tragedy that God can do things. And our nation needs God more than ever right now. They need people who will stand in the gap. They need people who will say enough is enough. That when we look at the crime statistics, when we look at the anger, the hatred, the rage that exists, that they see a people who say enough is enough and that they are willing not to just pray about it, but they're willing to do something about it as well. And so we're gonna take some time and I want us to just to begin praying for first and foremost, let's pray for the school that was impacted. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And God, we know that tragedy has struck in South Florida and our hearts are broken. God, our hearts hurt as we watch the report of students' lives that were taken way too soon. And so, Father, I pray that it would drive us to a state of humble dependence and humble prayer upon you. God, asking that you would intervene in these situations. Father, we pray for every single family that has been impacted by this tragedy. We cry out, Father, that your peace would surround them and that you would embrace them during this time. Holy Spirit, we know that you can surround them and embrace them and give them strength, God, where they can make it through these troublesome times and they can make it through these trials that, that, that are in front of them. And so, God, we just ask that you would surround them and embrace them. God, we thank you that you are good. God, and we see evil rear its head in this form and fashion. God, it causes us to call out upon you to intervene. And we pray, Father, that we would see divine intervention. God, touch every student, God, that saw these horrific things take place. God, touch every student, and we pray that you would remove these images from their life that are, God, that would try to scar them. God, we know that your word says what the enemy would, uh, would mean for evil, that you can turn it around for good. God, and it's tough to see how good can come out of this situation. But Father, we call upon you that in your divine wisdom, and your love, that you would cause there to be a transformation. And Father, that somehow, some good would come out of this situation. Jesus, 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 we pray for our nation. God, you know where there are other people that are mentally and spiritually oppressed like this. And Father, we pray that you would expose these things before they happen. 
Father, we pray that you would have mercy on us and you would cause these things to be exposed before they happen. Father, that you would give wisdom to your people like you did to David Wilkerson before 9-11. Father, and that you would speak to their lives and Father, that they would be directed by you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Heal our land. Heal our land, Father, from where there's so much hurt and devastation. God, so many times we're at a loss for words. God, we're absent of what to say. And all we can do is just cry out for your help. God, and we need your help in our nation. So much brokenness that exists. God, we know what your word says, that in the last time things will continue to get worse and worse. But Father, your word says for us to take heart, for you have overcome. And Father, I pray that we would be people who would overcome evil with good. And Father, as we've seen evil take place, it would cause us as the church to be motivated to reach out and to share the love of Christ, to share the goodness of God, to minister to these families. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Heal our land. Heal our land, oh God. God, that every eye would see, every ear would hear of your goodness and your love, of you working in this tragedy. God, we lift them up to you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Just before we sing another song, I was reading some of the thoughts and writings of Billy Sunday. And in the late 1800s, he made the statement that if we take prayer and Bible reading out of the schools, this is the late 1800s now, he said blood would run in the streets. And I thought about that. Almost an eerie prediction of what has happened with so many school shootings that have taken place over the last few years. And we've removed God out of the schoolhouses. And a generation has grown up that has not seen the Word of God. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. I, I want us to have one more prayer. And I'm going to ask you to lift your hands because my heart has been burdened this week. As I have, I have seen this tragedy strike our nation. I want to thank Pastor Jordan for the Word tonight. But Father... God, we lift up our, our nation. We lift up the schools of America. We lift up, Father, the homes and the families, the cities of our nation. Father, we know that our nation was founded upon biblical, godly principles. And, Lord, we must be the church, the people that believe so much that we see our nation return to the God of our salvation and the God of our upbringing. Lord, you invite us throughout the word to return, to return, to return. And Lord, we do, we return repenting of our waywardness, repenting of our sins, repenting, oh God, that we have, have not pursued you. Have mercy on America. Come on, everyone say, have mercy on America. Lord, we turn to you asking that you heal our land promise in your word that if we would repent of our sins and confess our sins that you would forgive our sins and you would remove them and that God you would in fact 
in effect, heal our land. So heal America. Let a great awakening begin, God. Raise up modern-day prophets. Raise up modern-day people that will declare this good news, O oh God. Raise up churches like Evangel Temple and many others, O oh God, that will just be salt and light and be real with this thing that Jesus loves this world that he came to change and give hope to mankind. We ask in your loving name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Something's happening. I believe that with all my heart. Something's being birthed. Amen. There always has to be a tipping point. And men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And I, I just see things like this becoming that tipping point that's causing people to begin to search and begin to look inward. And there's something that's needed in America. Amen. Something in our homes and families. And we know what that answer is. It's Jesus. Amen. Let's thank Pastor Jordan for the word tonight.